How are we doing tonight? We doing okay? Good, good. Well, I want to welcome you to the house of the Lord and welcome you to the Word of the Lord. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans 12. We'll be on a bunch of different places tonight, but uh, we're kicking off a series based out of the 12th chapter of Romans, entitled R for Romans 12 for the 12th chapter. This is a, a series that we'll take over the next six weeks, including tonight, looking at true spirituality. What does it mean to truly be spiritual? Not based off of what I think or what you think, but out of what the Word of God tells us about being truly spiritual. This series is based out of a curriculum by Chip Ingram, and as he helps in this curriculum guide, taking us through this 12th chapter, it's more than just one chapter of the Bible, we're going to be looking at biblical characters who are living out the principles in this 12th chapter, and and I believe it's going to be a blessing to all of us as we dive into this. As we embark on this Romans 12 journey, a journey to explore true spirituality, I want us to begin to think together, when was the first moment in your life that you can remember a spiritual experience of any kind? Maybe it was as a child. Maybe it was as a teenager. Maybe your first spiritual experience was as a young adult or as an older adult. But but think back to that for, for yourself. When was that first experience? For me, I was five years old, and my great-grandfather, Grandpa Bate, had passed away. I, I really didn't know Grandpa Bate very much. My, my only strong memory of Grandpa Bate is it was the only house I had ever been to at the time, and maybe since, that didn't have running water, and he had an outhouse. And I remember when you go to Grandpa Bate's house, you got to go outside to go to the bathroom, and it was cold. That's what I remember of Grandpa Bate. But when he died, what hit me was this concept that we don't live forever. And this idea of eternity began to hit home for me as a young child. And, and I remember thinking about this, and I heard things in Sunday school, and I heard things in church. And, and I remember going into my parents' bedroom late at night after I heard that Grandpa Bate had died. And I said, I want to go to heaven to be with Grandpa Bate. I wasn't so sure that I wanted to be with Jesus yet, but I wanted to see Grandpa Bate in heaven. That was the thought. And that began a spiritual journey for me, some of my first spiritual experiences as a child. I also vividly remember when I was eight years old, we were in a camp meeting and we were, I was in the parking lot of, of that campground and I was playing with my G.I. Joes. I don't know if you ever had anybody in your household who played with the little G.I. Joe army figure guys and I was having a great time playing in the dirt and I was playing preacher with G.I. Joes. You didn't know that you could sanctify G.I. Joe's, but I was having a church service with my little G.I. Joe guys. And I remember as I was playing, I was reading scripture and thinking, and it was the first time that it ever dawned on me, I think maybe the Lord was speaking to me. I remember running to my parents and saying, I, I, think, I think maybe I heard God. And, and my dad was so attuned to that. He says, well, what did he say? I said, well, I, I can't remember, but I was in the middle of playing G.I. Joe's, and I, I, I think I heard God. And my dad said, Next time, why don't you listen a little bit longer? It was some first beginning spiritual experiences. And I I remember that when I was eight years old. I had those emotional moments. But later in my sixth and seventh grade years, I remember vividly uh, praying 
in reading my Bible and listening to Christian music, and I was moved by those things, and, and that was a part of a spiritual experience for me. But it wasn't long till I learned that spiritual feelings would, would wane and move and go back and forth, and, and I began to see as I got older, I learned some things. Not to be too critical, but I learned some things in our tribe that there was many who was very big on rules, very big on how to look and how to act. And it appeared that there wasn't as much as I was hearing about what I should do to have this relationship with the Lord. Now, don't misunderstand me. There was many who did, but there was so much who would talk about the rule aspect. I remember at age 13, I began to press and have my own ideas and thoughts and frustrations and joys in walking with the Lord. Later in my high school years and college years, I began to have a new understanding of faith, and it was my sophomore year in college where I think really a a radical relationship with Jesus for myself, not through anybody else, began to really take root, and, and this was part of my spiritual story. Now, that has some value to me and to those who are close to me, but that's not what we're here to hear tonight. You have your own story. Every person you lock eyes with has their own story. Whether they come to faith in the Lord or not, they've had some type of spiritual experience. Good, bad. Authentic or phony. Rooted in truth or rooted in lies. There's some kind of spiritual experience. And and what we're after is to look at true spirituality. Now, as we walk through this over the next number of weeks, you may find that your early shaping days were authentically true spirituality. You may discover that maybe they they weren't. But we're going to look at what God's Word has to say to us about this. We begin to see that this idea of having a real relationship with God is not something that is just for the spiritual elite. The Barnup Gallup crew who will do polls and stats, they came together to do a poll a number of years back that talked about how many people who call themselves Christian would they like to grow in their faith the stats were staggering and interesting to me and because of the date of that i don't know how relative that still is but i remember reading some of these stats of how many people would choose to grow and what struck me was not the number in that study but it was the different aspects of how people responded yes i want to but i don't know that i can yes i want to but i'm not quite like someone else and the challenge that came out for me in that study is understanding do people know what true spirituality is I think there's a broader group of people who who understand that God's Word may be true, that there is a one true God, but living for Him is something that they try and try harder and try harder, and they feel like they fail more, and guilt grows, and they begin to do one of two things. They either give up on being authentically spiritual, or they begin to fake it until they make it, or they think that's what will happen. But a question arises for us that I want to tackle in this introductory week for us. What is true spirituality? How do we move beyond religion? How do we move beyond just a program in a church or legalism or performance-oriented ideas of faith to grace-filled, authentic 
relationship with Christ. We talked about it a little bit this morning. This was what was on Peter's heart when he said, my days are short. I've got to talk to you about this. But, but biblically, scripturally, how could we understand this for ourselves? How could we paint a picture for someone else? And I believe that Romans chapter 12 does a great job of laying this out for us. And we're going to spend the next week, five weeks after tonight walking through that together. You see, true spirituality begins with an accurate picture of God. As we set the table for this feast of God's Word over the next month plus time together, we need to understand that if, if our picture of God is skewed, it skews everything else. If we start with the wrong picture of God, we'll never experience this true spirituality that Romans chapter 12 talks about. If you think that God is an angry deity, you'll be afraid of punishment. You'll have a a desire to try to keep a list of rules to not have to pay this penalty price and you'll try to avoid his wrath and, and staying away from this angry God seems to be the best thing possible as opposed to getting close to this angry God. That's one view of God. There's another view of God as a cosmic scorekeeper. He has this huge chalkboard in the sky and he's charting and tallying every single thing you do and so the view of god is maybe not this angry god but it's this watching god who's just keeping score on everything and and there's no real love no real relationship and so whenever you talk about being close to this kind of god you feel like it's being under the microscope of someone taking score on every area of your life this is another view of god some may have the view of god as an impersonable force he's the impersonable force not really a person he's one who is just kind of everything superior one who is higher and loftier and one who we try to have some kind of higher consciousness with and in this altered state of consciousness somehow we can be one with the universe and friends this leads us down a path that does not usually end in the one true God. It's an other type of thought and thinking. And all of these ideas of God, hopefully they seem skewed, wrong, because they definitely are not what the biblical picture of God is. But if we have these tints or tinges of these ideas of God, it will affect what we think true spirituality is. Who is this God that we are having relationship with? That leads us to this different path in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. We talked about a few months ago in these I am statements of Christ. In John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, we find this truth. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. We are the, the children of God. Those who have faith in Christ, we are the children of God. Our relationship with Him is one of Father, Abba, Father. One day, Jesus wanted to teach His followers, followers how to pray, and when His disciples asked them how to pray, you know His response. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Pray, our Father who is in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. 
This is the right picture of God. God as Father. Not a deity to be feared of punishment, though we should fear the Lord, and though punishment is real, but that's not the root of our relationship with this God. He's not a cosmic score, score, excuse me, scorekeeper. Easy for me to say. He's not a cosmic scorekeeper. Though he sees all, and though there's nothing we can hide from him, but that's not the basis of our relationship with this almighty God. He's not this impersonable force. He is a personal, loving, kind, holy, just Father who wants to love you and wants to turn us in responding to him with loving him and loving others. Those of us who have kids or grandkids, we have a dream for our children or our grandchildren. Our children can be the source of our greatest joys. They can also be the source of our greatest sorrows, depending on what's happening in their life. No one can hurt you like your kids or your grandkids, as you have so much love for them, you you want so much for them, and, and there's times that that can be some of the most painful, hurtful relationships. Our Heavenly Father has a dream for your life and for my life as well. And it's this incredible power that He has to lay out this plan for us. And He longs for us to accept it. And we don't want to hurt the heart of the Father by rejecting what it is He has for us. And this basis of real, true, authentic spirituality is in this framework of a loving Father who has a perfect plan for His Son and for His Daughter. See, God has a dream for all of his kids to make you, to make me, like his son. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we'll come back to that in, in days to come. We'll look at Romans 8.29 and some others. But for tonight, we need to see that first and foremost, true spirituality begins with us having the right picture of God. One as God the Father. One, where we see that Jesus is the way who opens up relationship with God the Father. Second, true spirituality is built on this principle of relationship. Not only understanding God as Father, but this principle of relationship with Him. Friends, we are indebted to Billy Graham and the like, who have made it their life's ministry to put into our vocabulary in the church world this understanding of relationship. He has had great impact across the church in in our day, in our generation, of understanding what it means to have relationship with Jesus. But I'm afraid that sometimes this phrase has become so popular, so well-known of a personal relationship with Jesus, that we may forget what it actually looks like. Not at the fault of the one proclaiming it, but maybe at the fault of the us, the ones hearing it, could, could miss what it means. And Romans chapter 12 is an excellent chapter in the Bible that unpacks what does this look like? What does it impact? How is it fleshed out? How can you and I live it? But maybe even more importantly for us, all of us here in this room, how could we impart it to someone else? If you were with us this morning, we looked at This most important thing of of letting those that we love be reminded again and again and again so they'll never forget it when you and I are gone, that they can have a relationship with Jesus, that they can know God themselves. It's not off these cleverly invented stories, but it's off of the, the 
eyewitness experience with Jesus. It's off of the confidence that we have that the men who have written God's word here have not done it on their own strength, but the Holy Spirit had guided them and had spoke through them to you and to me. It's this heart that tells us that authentic, true spirituality not only is possible, it is the norm, not the exception. It's not about keeping rules to gain God's favor. It's not about doing religious activities to develop some self-producing righteousness. See, Jesus was asked by religious leaders, of the 613 rules, laws, commands, which one's the greatest? What would you say the top two are? You know how he responded. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, the principle of this relationship, it impacts how we love God. It impacts how we love others. That's the heart of this Romans 12 Christian. Let's begin to see that true spirituality is loving God and loving other people 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, directly from our heart. That's what this Romans 12 Christian will lead out for us. It is not just a set of catechism that we memorize. It's not just a system of beliefs that we sign off on and say, I can be a part of that. It actually impacts what I say. It impacts what I do. It impacts how I love. It impacts how I live all of the time. No, don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean that we never ever have error. This doesn't mean that we never ever say I'm sorry. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. It's more that we say when we find fault, when we find error, when we find a need of correction, we welcome it and we say, by the power of God, I want to live right. We're going to look at what that means in everyday situations over the next couple of weeks together. You see, Romans 12 provides us with a relational, grace-based pathway to true spirituality. I had people who tried to teach me these principles, but I don't know how well I listened all the time. I wish I would have grasped this earlier in my life, what it really means to have authentic, true spirituality. And I believe that there are people in this room who a refresher course of what authentic spirituality could mean for you would be a lifting of a ton of bricks off of your chest. I believe that there's a whole crew of us who it would ignite a passion, a fire in our heart to make sure that people around us know what we have experienced, what we have felt with this authentic walk with God. I've said it a bunch of times, and I'm going to say it a whole bunch more before I die. Uh, You may get sick of it, but that's okay. I believe that we need to hear it over and over and over and over and over again. I am absolutely 1,000% convinced that we don't have a missing generation from the broader church of Jesus Christ in our culture and Western culture today because church is boring. Though, let's be honest, sometimes church is boring and that's a crime. That's a whole other discussion. But I don't think that's why we have missing generations from church, at least in the Church of America. That's the church I know. I believe that we have a missing generation from church because there is a generation who doesn't see the power of God alive in their church. It's amazing the cultural things that I will sit through that don't connect or jive with me because I see the power of God there. Sitting across the table 
from a 90-year-old lady who was a mentor in my life. Listening to Mrs. Taylor talk about Jesus as if he was actually sitting there right there with us. Telling me the books that she had read that week. None of the titles sounded good. I didn't like reading. I didn't really like the decorations in her house. She had too many trinkets. I didn't understand what they were for. To be honest, her breath never really smelled that good. The music that she liked, I didn't even like. I didn't even know if it was music. But something captivated my heart because when she spoke, it was so intense with what she experienced with Jesus. I didn't care about any of that. Because I wanted to see what it was she had of Christ. This Romans 12 true spirituality is that kind of a thing. It's not a a trend kind of a thing. It's not a PR campaign for God stuff. It is what is the crux of authentic Christianity. Romans 12 provides us with a grace-based pathway to authentic spirituality. This pathway that Apostle Paul gives to us in Romans chapter 12 includes five key relationships. This is kind of the outline of where we're going. Tonight is just an introductory night that's going to whet our appetite and challenge us, I hope, to stick to it over the next five weeks to dive into what God has for us. And real quickly, here it is. These are the the five areas that we're going to be studying together. First of these five key relationships is the relationship with God. Surrendering to God. We're going to see the key verse in Romans 12, 1. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Authentic, true spirituality starts right here. It's in this relationship with God, surrendering to Him, offering our very self as a sacrifice to Him. We're going to look not just at Romans 12, but in each of these weeks, we're going to look at biblical characters who had real-life events of what took place in their life with these principles. We're going to look at Abraham and his experience with surrendering to God. But I want you to begin thinking about this relationship because this isn't just kind of a survey course. This is going to be in our face. How is your relationship with God? How are you passing on your understanding and your experience of your relationship with God to others? Second, we'll look at the relationship with the world. And how Romans 12, 2 calls us to separate from the world's values. There should be a distinct difference between those who have faith, living faith in Christ, and those who do not. Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it look like for a true, authentic Christian to not only have right relationship with God, but what does it look like with their relationship with the world? To be in the world, but not of it. To love those who are in the world that God loves, but not to be lovers of the worldly ways. We're going to look at Daniel. We're going to see how Daniel's life plays out these principles that the Apostle Paul is talking about. And what it means to be a Romans 12 Christian. What it means to be an authentic Christian in the idea of our relationship with the world. Third, we'll look at our relationship with with ourself. We'll walk into some sober self-assessment. The funny thing is, the closer I get to God, the more He reveals to me about myself. 
We'll look at Moses' life and how Moses walked through this sober self-assessment and how the father began to chisel away at Moses and make him a man that was pleasing to him. Romans 12, 3 through 8 gives us this idea. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. This true spirituality has a different relationship with God, a different relationship with the world. We have a different relationship with ourselves. And fourth, a relationship with other believers. Something should happen. Looking at serving in love. Jonathan and David will be a model for us that week as we begin to unpack Romans 12, 9 through 13 and this key thought of being devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above ourselves. I don't know if you ever play games in the car when you're on a road trip. If you play I Spy. If you play License Plate Bingo or the Alphabet Game, Looking for Letters. One of the games that I like to play and think about on trips like that is a game that I've entitled, What Would You Like to Uninvent? Of all the great things in the world, they brought so many great things to us. Sometimes there's an invention. We go, I don't know, maybe we'd be better off without it. I always talk about the cell phone. Oh, I see all the great things that cell phone brings to us, but I see some of the challenges it has. But one of the things that came to my mind the last time I was playing this mental game on on a road trip was this idea of social media. Now, this is not evil or bad. It's, It's amoral. It's not good or bad. Whatever we do with it is dependent on our heart with that. But one of my pet peeves with social media is our understanding of what it is we want to put out there and tell everyone else about ourselves. And this phenomenon that, that doesn't matter what you believe, all kinds of authorities are recognizing this pattern in human behavior in this generation and the ones to come, is the freedom to say things behind a screen or a, a phone in a text Form on social media that very few would ever dare say to someone's face. It's interesting to me. And I think as we begin to dive into what a Romans 12 Christian, I mean, it's going to have all kinds of real implications for us. What would it be like if we are known for the way we love one another? Sometimes I look at social media feeds and the stances and the gripes and the complaints and all the things. We're known for a lot of stuff. And I'm not harping on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. I mean, it can be used as a tool for God. But, but what, what are we known for? I'm getting all kinds of emails now for a, a big reunion for my high school and people that I haven't talked to in years. I don't even know if I really remember or not. Now want to talk to me and have you come to the reunion. You've been through those kind of things. And as I've been perusing Facebook, they're trying to say, now, do I remember them? Did I have class with them? Now, who were they? And what was it like? You're beginning to look at what people are posting about themselves. What are they known for? Is it their job? Is it their kids? Is it their success? Is it their stance on issues? We begin to see through this Romans 12 Christian, we can not only be known for the way we love one another, but this authentic Christianity should change the way we see each other, change the way we talk with each other. There's something burning in my heart. I don't have complete freedom yet to preach on it, but just to give you a heads up, I want you to be chewing on it with me as we begin to hear what God has to say to us. I think there may be some sanctification setting apart for God's holy use that he may call all of us to do with each of the forms of communication we have. What if 
We wouldn't just be known for loving each other on social media. What if we'd be known for every way we speak to each other? We'd run it through the filter of, am I building them up? It broke my heart. And I just kind of perused through Facebook this afternoon and, and saw some silly, goofy things that people had said to someone else. And it wasn't even a part of Grace Point. It wasn't that kind of a thing. It's not a problem here. You look through your friendship circle, you'll find some things that hurt somebody. What would it be like if, if our speech patterns would be building them up? That's not my love or your love. That's this Romans 12 love inside of us that causes us to not only love God differently, but love each other differently. And it's not just about what we don't say. It's about what we do say. Have you ever thought something positive about someone around you and kept it to yourself? I have. Shame on us. Why do we do that? We're very quick to speak up when there's something that is a challenge or wrong, but do we speak and call attention to it when it is positive? This love that God puts in our hearts should impact this relationship. Not only the relationship with other believers, We'll look at the relationship with non-believers. Supernaturally responding to evil with good. Our root scripture here that we're going to dive into is Romans 12, 14 through 21. And seeing a key thought, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This same love that we're known for in loving one another is the same love of God that causes us to respond to those in the world around us in a way that exchanges the evil that comes to us with good that comes from the Father. We're going to look at the life of Joseph and see how this was true and God empowered him to overcome evil with good. And we can begin to get this idea. When God has relationship with us, he makes us like him. Be holy as I am holy, he tells us. Walk in the light as I show you the light. It will change our relationship with God. It will change our relationship with the, the worldly ways. It will change our relationship with ourselves. It will change our relationship with believers. It will change our relationship with non-believers. Now, if, if you have some notes in front of you, I want to encourage you, circle those relationships. Circle God, world, yourself, believers, non-believers. And begin praying and thinking even if it's just for a few moments tonight, Lord, what does my relationship look like now? And maybe allow the Lord to speak to you from Second Peter that we had this morning on, on with the short days that I have left, what is my burning, constant focus in each of these relationships? What is it that, that I have to get out before I leave this tent of a body? Now I need to give a disclaimer, a warning that this R12 series, this Romans chapter 12 series, is not a try-hard moral code to live up to, but rather it is a faith response to what God has already done for us. It's a faith response. It's one that we begin to see that Romans 12 didn't just appear by itself. It actually comes after the first 11 chapters. And, and real quickly tonight, in rapid fire, I want to set the stage for us of what we're diving into over the next number of weeks and talk for a moment about these first 11 chapters. Romans chapter 1 through 3. Take some time to read this. If it's been a while since you've read the book of Romans, there is so much food there. But in these first three chapters, we see a focus on sin. The problem that separates us from God. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are more about the problem of mankind and the problem of sin. And sin is this 
missing of the mark. It's this willful disobedience. It's this idea that God has a set way and I choose my way over his way. And regardless if we get a 99 out of 100 or we get a 9 out of 100, every person falls short and every shortcoming separates us from God. And this sin problem is so rooted in our understanding of relationship with God. If we don't get this thing right, everything else is skewed. Most theological conflict can come back to one area. What is our doctrine? What is our understanding? What is our, our process and lifestyle on the topic of sin? What, what do we mean by that? James 4, 17. Anyone who knows the good that he or she ought to do and does it, do it sins. Sin is lawlessness. It is this deviation from God's perfect plan to choose what I want. And we're going to see that these first three chapters are talking about sin. We see Romans chapter 4 and 5 dealing with salvation. God's solution in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In 4 and 5, we see God's solution, what Christ has done for us. I love the worship package we had this morning that, that led us in, in a lyrical music understanding of, of what He has done. What my sin has done to Him and what He has done for me. And this salvation call that Romans 4 and 5 give to us is this understanding that there is hope in Jesus. His death on the cross for us. By simple faith, we turn from our sin... We believe in Christ's death on the cross, that he paid the price for our sin, and we ask the Father to forgive us and ask his power to be obedient to his Son. Then we begin to look at Romans 6 and 8. I would argue that this is, this is a pattern, this is a call to sanctification. This is a call for us to live our new life in God's power, growing and growing to be more and more like him. We can be set apart for God's holy use in a moment, a crisis, at a specific moment in time, but it doesn't stop there. It continues to happen in our life as we continue to grow in grace in Him, right now and ongoing. It's this Romans 1 through 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 8 that leads us to the understanding of Romans 9, 10, and 11 with the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign. He is Lord. You and I are not. Living in the confidence because God is in control. He will keep His promises over and over again. It's in this context that we find Romans chapter 12. And, and how can we say thank you to this God who has, has clarified our sin problem, who has given us salvation and a way out of the sin problem, who's empowered us to live holy for Him, who is sovereign, who is in control? What should our response be? It is a Romans chapter 12 life of saying, I love you, Lord. What do you have for me? It's one of obedience. It's one of being empowered by His Spirit. So as... We come to an end of the opening teaching tonight. Three quick questions for you. Challenges, really. Would you affirm again that you would like to receive all that your Heavenly Father has planned for you? Would you have a fresh response tonight to the Lord to say, Father, if it's of you, I want it. I found that that solves a lot of my, my problems with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. If we could just come to an agreement, if this is of Jesus, we want it. If it's not, we don't.
So let's seek Him together. Do you really want all that the Father has for you? Whatever that may be. Not what I say is for you. Not what the person to the left says or the right says is for you. Or what you even say for yourself. But what the Father has for you. Do you really want that? Would you receive that from Him? Second, challenge and invitation. Would you not only like to experience, again, true spirituality, but would you like to be armed and empowered to articulate that authentic walk with Jesus that you have with other people around you? This true spirituality that Christ has purchased for you. If you're like me, I'd say, well, yeah. Silly questions. Of course. That's why I'm here. That's why I have a hunger for the Word. I want that. Then I I challenge you, Would you take the next five weeks, now this is where I know it's kind of tough, and do everything you can to be here each of the five weeks. Now, whenever I say that, this is what's going to happen. Someone's going to get sick. Some of you have a business trip. Some of you, I understand that. And if you miss one, still come. But what I'm saying is, over this series, it's going to sequentially build together. And if you and I could say, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to be here, to not just hear Brady, or not just to hear whatever's happening, but, but I want to uncover what God has for me in this Romans 12 study, I believe it's going to pay huge dividends for us. Now, as we close tonight, I, I feel extra impressed after this morning. Our church needs you. I was praying a good amount of time today for you, this crew, in this room, that God would set our hearts. What if it was just us? What if everybody else at Grace Point loved Jesus, but but they weren't in what I'm talking about now? But what if it was just us who said, we only have a short amount of time left. I'm going to be stepping out of this tent of a body soon, and I'm going to be on my way in eternity. But I have lived this, I've experienced it, and, and, and I want those around me. I, I've told them. I've taught Sunday school. I've led in ministries. I've told my grandkids. I've told my kids. I've told those around me. What, would you tell them again, as long as you're still in this shell of a body, would you tell them again, this is the most important thing. And here's where our church needs you. I am one voice. The Lord has ordained and called each of you. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe that God has called each of us to speak our influence to those around us of what we have seen and heard in Jesus. If I'm not careful, I could be passing on some things that really is not the most important to me, but if I was not intentional about it, it's just some preferences that just come out. It's my undisciplined approach at prioritizing what it is that I'm saying. But, but what if we together would take the next five weeks and say, okay, what, what's, what's the most important of the most important? What, is it, what does it really mean to have this right relationship with God? What does it really mean to, to be separate from worldly values? What does it really mean to be honest and have right relationship with God and ourself and, and this sober self-assessment? What does it really mean to have a different relationship with believers? You know, I'm amazed <laughs> by some of you who love on your pastor over and over and over again. I love it that you love us, but sometimes I go, really? We're flawed people. But the Lord has put a love in your heart for your pastors that you just ooze that love on us. Church, 
We need to ooze that love on every brother and sister around us. There's some of us here that I think that we may feel like in this culture's idea of our life, we're in a final stage. This is your finest hour. These are the days in which God has positioned you for a time such as this to have tremendous impact on generation after generation after generation. Brady, I've already said it. I know. They've already heard me. I know. They're doing it. I know. But Peter said, the closer I get, the more important it becomes. I I think maybe that could happen for us. Now, the good news is, it's not just going to be us here on Sunday night. There's others who want to join this journey with you. But I think God could do something big for us. As I shared this morning, in the next couple of weeks as a church, we're going to be looking not just at what Jesus has and will do in us, but what does it look like for us to be led by His Spirit to get out of here? And to intentionally look for the people He's calling us to love on. I need you. And the Lord, I believe, will be calling you you to join us in that effort heavenly father i thank you